I see you, yeah you, flipping through all the podcasts, looking for something different. Tired of those with all the catchy phrases, a one-size-fits-all quick fix schemes that never seem to fit. My name is Anthony Hart, and if you are like me, you want more than a moment. We are looking for a movement of groundbreakers and world changers who are tired of the status quo, willing to throw it all up to see what sticks, willing to ask a question before pointing a finger. This is your invitation into a collection of thoughtful ponderings posed to make you think, one-on-one conversations that challenge you with fresh perspective, and roundtable discussions where sparks fly as iron sharpens iron. Intrigued? Pull up a seat. We've been waiting for you. But don't get comfortable. You might be up next. In the Red is now in session. Let's go. Let's get in the word. We are going to, good Lord willing, it's you. We are going to finalize the Sermon on the Mount today. We've only been in it four months. We've been building a wide foundation. That's what Jesus did, right? When we understand Sermon on the Mount has a wide foundation. Why? Because he had a big church to build on this thing. So those three chapters... This afternoon for Jesus was so much bigger than we could even imagine. So as we've spent some time diving and tearing apart and and biting into the scripture, I hope it's helped you to see the foundation. What I also hope you realize is you personally have some foundational moments that you have to get in you too. You know, a house can fall apart. It can be overrun. But there's one thing when you begin to dig, you'll always find the foundation. Being in Israel, there was a lot of places because of uh, time where things were overrun. But there's these people that all they do is just go dig in the dirt. Remember when you were a kid and you did that? See, there's a job for that. These archaeologists, they just dive into the future, but they will dig down through dirt, life, all the stuff that's occurred, and eventually they get to a foundation. And that's when they begin to work back up and rebuild back up what was actually there. It's probably a, an interesting moment because as they dig down, they find pieces, pieces of this building, pieces of this structure, all of that. And if you don't get to the foundation, you can't begin to build what it actually looked like. You just got a bunch of pieces. It's kind of like us. We have our spine, right? You build out of the spine the rest of your skeleton. So as they dig down to the foundation, they begin to rebuild what it looked like. I believe this is the foundation moment where we're digging through a lot of Christianity and a lot of stuff that's been happened over the years. But when you get down to what Jesus said, this is the truth that we're built on. Amen? So let's try to finish this out today. We're going to be in Matthew 7. Um, We're going to read between 15 and 27 today, but I want to start on 24 through 27 and work our way back. Because this just confirms everything we've been talking about over the last four months. So in Matthew 7, 24 through 27, it says this. And this will be on the screen for those of you that don't have a Bible. It says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So Jesus is, this is the declaration at the end of it. This is the exclamation point of the period. Everyone who does these words, all that I've said... I hope you were taking notes because I said some really profound things. But everyone who does these things, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. 
Some of you are singing Firm Foundation in your head right now, right? Rain came, wind blew, my house was built on you. That's our jam around here. And the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Who is Jesus speaking to? What group of people? What, what nation of people? What? Come on, this isn't hard. I mean, we've talked about this, right? He wasn't talking to us in this moment. He was talking to the Jews, right? So he was speaking to people who had foundation. If they would have just dug down a little bit, they would have found it. So in this statement, what he's saying is be careful what you're building on because some of you are not building on the foundation that I gave you. You're building on the foundation that someone told you. Now, for us coming in later, what we have to realize is in our life, we've built on a foundation of sand. We've gotten good at it. And things in your life, you build them up real big and they fall. And we don't understand why. And it's because we don't understand what foundation looks like. We've been told this is good foundation. And then when we get frustrated because it falls apart all the time, we got to rebuild it back up. What Jesus is saying is regardless of what you've been told, there is a foundation to build upon, and that is me. Not me. Let me take that back. Pastor said we got to build on him. No, you don't. I can be a little sandy. When we build on Jesus, though, we are promised that we will stand. Because there is... But the problem is now, as we build on him, we still got some ideas on what we think we should build. We don't trust the builder either. He's not only the foundation, but he is the builder. He's the architect. Rick, he's the sign maker. He is all things. When we let him truly build what he wants to build, whoo, we trust. This is what Jesus also represents. I've been reading the book of John with a group of men and he says this quite often, but I only do what I see my father do, and I only say what I hear my father say. In other words, my foundation is established on who I am, and I only do out of that. I only build, I only go, I only say, I only do what the father, the architect, the plan maker, the best creator in the world knows what to do when he tells me to do it. So Jesus is the perfect structure of what we're called to do, called to be but we miss it. Okay, so we're, we're talking about this foundation. So what happens now in this foundational moment that prevents us? I want to backtrack a little bit. We're going to read Matthew 7, 15, because he ends this, and I, I say this statement a lot about the prayer in the garden when he prays for a perfect unity amongst people, and I say it's kind of that moment where you're leaving your house. What's the last thing you, you think about? Oh, did I leave the iron on, Right? Oh, did I leave the stove on? Unless you're my wife, and then she waits till you get in the car and said, did I leave my curling iron on? Every time. 
You know what she never leaves on, Eric? Her curling iron. You know how I know that? Because I go up there every time and I check it after we're in the car, after we're halfway down the street, when she's in a tizzy and like, oh, Lord, the house will burn down and the dogs will die. (laughs) Knowing in my mind that it's not plugged in, I go back. I walk up those stairs. And guess what? I have never found that thing plugged in. Why? Because she remembers to unplug it. She just doesn't remember that she remembers. I don't know what that has to do with this story at all, but maybe you just need to know. In this moment, what Jesus is saying in the very end of this sermon, I've said some profound stuff. I've extracted some truth out of you. I've given you a depth of understanding, a deeper perspective of what this word says. But right now I have to say this thing, because if I leave you with anything, you have to understand this is going to occur. Got your attention, though. That's where he was. Matthew 7 15, he says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, I want to I get this to you today. I, I hope you're taking notes because I have a lot of scripture I'm just going to give to you quickly because I want to connect the dots on a couple of words that comes out of this. So he's talking about in, in verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Once again, Jesus didn't come and say something that hadn't already been said. He always connected you back to Scripture. Why? Because he's speaking to people who have the foundation in their hands, have the blueprints in their hands, and he's going to say, could you refer back to page three of that blueprint real quick? It's not changed. I've not changed what the building looks like. I've not changed what's required. I need you to flip back and see where I told you to do this, right? So when now we begin to look at this false prophets, what's he saying? So we go back to Jeremiah 23, 16, and 17. And as I begin to read this today, I was in a place like I was staring at the world we live in. This is not going to be on the screen, so you got to trust me. I'd encourage you to write it down and go back and read it. Jeremiah 23, 16 and 17, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesied to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. We've arrived at a day in the church where we just want to make everybody feel good. The gospel's a feel-good thing. I know you're lost and broken and undone, but Jesus loves you. I'm going to read it again, because this seems to stand in stark contrast to what that is. 
They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord. Does anybody know in the culture and society we live in today, those who despise the word of the Lord? Good, you don't watch the news like I do. It's everywhere. This is offensive to those who want to be offended. This is offensive to the way of life that we've been told is okay. This has been, this foundation of rock is offensive to the sand we've built on. And there are those false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inly are ravenous wolves, who say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. It's going to be a hard sermon to preach. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. I didn't touch my screen enough, now it's gone. Romans 16, 18 says this. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, flattery they deceive the hearts of the naïve. What does naive mean? I'm a definitions guy. Naive means marked by unaffected simplicity. See, I told you today about the knowing. See, there's an unaffected simplicity in the church. We know of Jesus. We know just enough to be dangerous. We were in the crowd when he did that thing with so-and-so, and it was really cool, and it made me feel good, and I loved it, and I said, well, maybe he loves me too. I know I didn't go and repent and do all the things that he talked about to everybody else, but I was there, and it got a good sermon, and I got a one of the fish. When he was splitting the fish and the loaves, I was there. Remember that? Remember we got the bread? Man, that was so cool. That was so good. Okay, I'm going to go back to my own life. Marked by unaffected simplicity. See, there's many people who sit in these pews who have not really been affected. That's why they're simple. Naive also means self-taught. Person or action showing lack of experience, wisdom, or judgment. This is where these false prophets begin to prey on our naivety. Why? Because just what we talked about earlier, we're stuck in a place where I just don't have to know God. I'll know him when I get to there. I, I know I really don't need to go to church because I got him in my heart. He knows my heart. Yes, he does. Better than you do. I don't really have to go hang out with those people. They're broken and lost. I see them. I see them on Monday, Tuesday. Yes, they are. I, I don't really have to. I read that one scripture that says, if I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that he rose from the dead, then I'll be saved. Well, Jesus is Lord. Oh, I said it. You know, there's a difference between saying and confession. I just looked this word up and that was sitting over there and I didn't have this note, but now I do. Confess, to tell or make known something such as something wrong or damaging to oneself. Going back to the being known, understanding that you're broken or lost. A confession requires you to know where you're coming from and the sand you've been built on. This is where the false prophets that Jesus is telling are going to come. It, it happens in here. We see it time after time after time. Second Peter 2.1. 
So we're talking to the first church now. Second, uh, Second Peter 2 and 1. But false prophets are also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. Heresies. Ooh, there's a word. You know what heresy means? We throw this around in church a lot too. Anytime somebody doesn't believe like us, we're like, ooh, they're heretics. You know, the church has been good for many, many years killing people who just didn't align with the, the public opinion. The knowledge that we have today. Do you know Galileo was labeled a heretic because he said the earth wasn't at the middle of the solar system? Why? Well, we're here on earth, so of course we're the core of God's creation, so earth has to be the center. Those who first said the earth was round, you know what they were labeled as? Heretics. We don't like to come to a place where we know more knowledge. I always talk about knowledge is not necessarily a good thing. All knowledge is not God, just because it's good. But here's what heresy means. Dissent or deviation from a dominant theory, opinion, or practice, or an opinion, doctrine, or practice contrary to the truth. Before I even start diving into this word the other day, God dropped this thought into my spirit. He said, people don't know my people because they don't know me. That's why we can label people as heretics in the church. Because we really don't know people. And social media has put in a place where everybody knows Jesus, right? So we can like, oh, this person, this person, the loudest noise. The, I have a ring in my mic. Maybe that's because I'm out here and I should be up here. I don't know. But what we have to look at is right here, coming out of what he said about false prophets. He said, beware of false prophets who come in. You recognize them, but how will you recognize them? You will recognize them by their fruits. It didn't say you'll recognize them because they are fruits. There's something that you can't deny in people. And that is, we won't say love because love's the one that's kind of hard to discern because love's come a lot of things. But joy, patience, gentleness, long-suffering. That's the things that you begin to build on a foundation. Why? Because those things take some time to build. It takes some time to forge in your life. So what he's saying is in this place is when those things are there, when they're present, you'll know if they're heretical or not. I've been on a good run this week of just Facebook drop, but God gives me something. I'll be like, I said, be careful when your theology is built on, I feel that or I think that. There's a whole lot of false prophets who are walking around letting their feelings and what they think determine what they know. If you don't know it, you're really easy, naive, to go whatever way you want, and you're, before you know it, your feelings are going to build your theology. And now, knowingly or unknowingly, because you had a bad day one day, and you said, well, this isn't Jesus, or this is Jesus, guess what? You've become a false prophet wow, this is not where this sermon was going to go, right? Like we, why is that? Well, I didn't proclaim to be a false prophet. 
No, but you have to realize you have a sphere of influence. People are watching your life, and you may think nobody's listening to you, but I guarantee you somebody is. So you begin to build a theology based on what you feel or what you think because you realistically didn't know This is the place I'm inviting you all. This is the place Jesus is putting it in their face like, you have the ability to be this or to be this. Are you following me or are you following them? Are you following your brokenness? Are you following your emotions? Are you following your thought pattern? Or realistically, do you come back to this word and follow me? 1 John 4 and 1. I told you I'm taking a lot of scriptures, but I want to connect this to this one word, discernment. Because if Jesus is telling us this is going to occur, then our ability to see it and recognize it will position us to know what is right and what's wrong. Amen? This is the purpose of this. So if you're writing notes, get your phone out. I encourage you to put these next couple of scriptures because we're going to go kind of fast through them. But I want you to get them. I want you to go back and read them on your own. I want you to connect these dots because it's when you realize you have the power within you, if you have the Holy Spirit, you have the connecting piece to help you discern this. But the moment you get the Holy Spirit, you won't be able to discern to the level you could when you invest more time in this. This increases this. This opens this so you can discern that. 1 John 4 and 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Once again, we find a disciple of Jesus declaring to the church false prophets are out there. How did they know who false prophets are? Because they intimately knew Jesus. There was a discernment of them to see what was right and what was wrong. Now, 1 Corinthians 2.14 Y'all ready to go? We're just going to go through. So roll with me. I have too many tabs. 1 Corinthians 2 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now we see the gap. Who am I? I'm a natural man, right? We're natural. When we meet Jesus, we're just, what? this is what you got, Jesus. It's all I got. It's what I ended up with. So I have a natural understanding. I have a natural knowledge based on what life has taught me. I have the sandy foundation. I can't discern because I don't have that ability. Okay? So then we go to Romans 12, 2. I'm, I'm connecting dots. I promise. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, this is a place we got stuck is perfect, but there is good, acceptable, perfect. The discernment stretches across all of those. I believe it's in progression. We come to Jesus thinking some things are good. As he begins to change this with 
this, as we begin to get this knowledge of who he is, then it begins to change this and we begin to see differently. How many of you realize today the things that used to be good are not good anymore? And that's still a process. Even today, there's still things that I feel like are good. That's where our emotions, our emotions generally are the ones that tell us what's good and what's bad. So as this begins to be renewed, which is repentance. Repentance is not just, I'm sorry for doing that. It is a changing of your mind. And the more you get connected to the truth, it begins to change this more and more and more. And as this is renewed, back to the factory setting, we put it in technological terms. We're an Apple and iPhone. And from the moment we turned it on, there was a a virus that got in there, and it's changed everything. So as he begins to undo the virus and restore it back to factory settings that we were created, the image we were created, then in that place of renewal, we begin to see things differently. We begin to operate differently. It changes everything. So as this is renewed, we begin to see things that are good, we begin to see things that are acceptable, and we begin to move toward that which is perfect. I say move towards it because perfect is not a thing except God. So now we understand where we are, we understand where we're going, and we are driven towards it. We discern what is good, what is acceptable, and what is not God. Y'all with me? Okay. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now we're talking about emotions. Talking about this thing that drives us, right? And then somewhere it's stuck in the middle of our soul and our spirit, our mind and our spirit, what we know and what we've called to, like, and we have our heart that's in this constant battle. So how do we get that? This, this living word. I love that it uses sharper than any two-edged sword. A sword can be used for two things on the battlefield, to wound you or to save your life, right? We've talked about this before. If you have a, a wound in your arm and you're bleeding out, you require a sword to amputate so you don't die. However, if it's misused or you respond defensively, that very sword that could be used to save your life now could take it. How many times have we seen people's lives taken with the word because although the sword of the spirit became the sword of the person? Ooh, I see that sin. And my righteous anger. Oh my gosh. I was just trying to cut off their sin, but I've killed them, I've wounded them, I've pushed them away, and maybe they'll never find Jesus again. Why? Because I thought I had it figured out. I thought I was right. I thought I was worthy to carry and equip to wield this sword. Anybody ever been wounded by the sword of the Spirit before? Mm -hmm, I know I have. Sword of the Spirit. 
Jesus said, I only do what I see my father do, say what I hear my father say. In other words, if I'm carrying around the sword of the spirit, who should I ask how to use it? The owner of the sword. So now we get in the Holy Spirit. What's Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? He has a lot to say, actually, if you get in the book of John. Is that one thing you found out over the last couple of weeks, Eric? As we get over into the book of John, Holy Spirit comes out a lot, doesn't it? John does a good way. So the Holy Spirit does some things. If that Holy Spirit, this is the Word of God, it's the sword of the Spirit that's used to discern what's right and what's wrong, what's acceptable, what's good, what is perfect and not, to separate the false prophets from the right prophets, to connect us. What he's trying to do is say, if you connect to me, not if you connect to a prophet, I don't care if they're a false prophet or a true prophet, that's not who you're supposed to be connected to. You need to be connected to me, and then you can discern what's right and what's wrong. I'll tell you, I'm in a place in my ministry, and my I won't say ministry, in my personal relationship with God, I've walked into some church services, and I know real quick by chewing on it what I need to spit out and what I can take with me. You know what I don't do in the middle of that, though? Grab the mic. You're all going to hell. This is life. Nope. I have a personal discernment about me. But you know what I do do? Leave that alone. Leave it alone. I left it alone. You need to leave it alone. When I get in the, in the car with my wife, when I get in conversation with people, I begin to talk about what I discern. Why? Because I have an audience that's connected to me. You have an audience that's connected to you. You have people who trust you. At the conference I was in last week, there was a lot of good things said, a lot of motivating things said, but there were some things that stuck out to me. And I get in the car with some people who trust me, and they said, what do you think? I said, let me tell you. All I heard was brokenness. I know you helped, you've, it really got me pumped up. and Wow, this powerful person did all these things, but all I heard was brokenness because I could see through the facade that he was trying to paint. I could see through what he wanted to tell people. Constant in his words, he said, I was this, this, and this when I was little, and I refuse. I'll never be that again. And every morning I wake up, I open that box, and I say, that's not who I am. And I said, you know what? Running away from something is just as broken as running to it. You've built an altar in a place of brokenness, and you bow to it every morning, swearing that's not who you're going to be, and it's got you chained to it. I don't know who that was for today. When God heals you, you don't have to run away from it anymore. It's done. It is finished. There are false prophets that tell you you got to run from your past, that you got to do certain things to overcome your past. But then there's a Lord and Savior that says, you really don't have to do anything because I did everything. All you got to do is let go of it, say that's not who I am anymore. I refuse to operate in that anymore, and I want to be closer to you, and you can do it. Because we've put some stipulations and some things in church make it harder. Okay, we're not going there. Holy Spirit, John 16, 8. What's the Holy Spirit do? And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. You know how he does that? People who are actually listening. He doesn't set up shop in the world 
and say, you're wrong, you're going to hell. You're wrong, you're going to hell. Why? Because that didn't happen yet. If the Holy Spirit's here, then how does he do it? We've tried to do that. The church has tried it. It hadn't worked. But how does he convict? Through you. Because if I can get the genuine in the room, the counterfeit will reveal itself. You don't have to spend time pointing out the counterfeits in your life. When you become more and more genuine based on what this truth says, the moment you walk in, the moment you say something, the moment you operate, you will stand out as different. How will they know it? What did Jesus say? They'll know you by your... They will not know you by your gifts. Your gifts will not convict people. Your fruit will. Why? Because if you've ever tasted the best, juiciest pear or apple or orange in your life, whoo, you don't ever want the ugly ones. I just went to Israel, and I will tell you, there is something to their fruit over there. I had this orange, and they had a juicer out of there. You could just squash your juice out, and I juiced it up. Got in this glass. I'm like, okay, this is going to be a little tart, but I had to do it because everybody's doing it. I tasted that orange. It was the most sweetest orange I've ever tasted in my life. If I would have tasted it here, I could have swore they just dumped pounds of sugar in it. But I'm the one that just squeezed it. I can attest to you today, that's the sweetest orange I've ever tasted in my life. You know what? The moment any other orange comes into the room with that orange, it pales in comparison. That orange doesn't have to convince you. It just is. There's a moment when you begin to change because of the sermon in your life, and operate differently, it drives you to a place, not that I have to validate myself to anybody, because I've found my value in Him. So conviction comes as a result of our transformation, the renewal of our mind, the walk-in is different. We don't have to convince anybody, they're just going to see something different in us and begin to ask the right question. All right, I'm moving real quick. I want to get to these last little ones. John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. In other words, you got to get it before you can even be guided to it. And the moment you get it, you just don't get an instant download of every truth. It is a process. As you trust him more, then he begins to reveal you more. As more is revealed, more is required. Why is more required? Because he's opening your sphere of influence up, your platform's being built when he trusts you in that space. John 14, 25, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I'm going to take you back to the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm going to remind you of those things. I'm going to preach those things. I'm going to reveal those things to you, because the moment you said, I love you, Jesus, and I need to let go of my life, and I've messed up, and I've struggled, and I just got to find a new way, you know what? You don't understand it the way you do. But when the Holy Spirit begins to remind you and walk you through it, suddenly it makes more sense. Matthew 7, 16 through 20. Or excuse me, I already, I already, talked, I already said that. I want to finish up Matthew 7, 21 through 23. So we talk about the tree, we talk about the fruit. And this is the invitation. This is the declaration of what is to come, how important it is. Verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, 
Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, he never questions their work. He questions their intent. There's a whole lot of people out here doing work. It's a whole lot of people in the church saying, look at me and all that I've done. Jesus is saying, that matters. Your fruit ain't right. See, this is the hard part of church too, going back to that prophecy, is we would love to think that there's room for everyone. Workers and not workers. But if what Jesus is saying is true, then I can't imagine those who've never worked will get in when those who have worked with the wrong intent fail. See, I love in this moment But he says, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Lord, Lord. See the same word they used when they may have said that prayer along the way. But there comes a moment when Lord is not just a word. It is a declaration of who he is. John 15. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear fruit more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. There's a realization moment when we begin to think in back. I'm not trying to scare you this morning. What I'm trying to do is invite you into a closer walk with Him. Because every one of us are accountable not only for what we do and what we say, but how we say it, how we do it. We are accountable for the fruit that we bear, not just the words we say. 
We are accountable for the fruit we bear, not just the gifts we have. Paul said you can have all the gifts in the world, but if you don't have the fruit, you'll be loud, noisy, clangy. Yeah, look at the landscape of church today and all I hear is noise. That's not an assessment on everybody. What it is is an assessment on some of us. All I'm saying is what Jesus said. There will be those who come, who did it in my name, who said they knew me, but their fruit proved different. They said they were an apple. But when you bit into it, you could not deny that they were annoying. That's the discernment. You know, I wouldn't go to a vegetarian today and ask them the best cut of meat. So why do we continue to go to people who know of God and ask them who He is? Why do we give access to that space before we test their fruit? I encourage you today. You want to know how good a gardener somebody is? Stick around long enough and they'll reveal themselves. You can go get fruit from a lot of other places and put it on your shelf. But when you run out, people are going to see where you got it. This is not an accusation today, it's an invitation. I want everybody in this room to know that you have people watching you. That you matter. You have a voice. And it's that important for you to spend time in that. It's that important for you to begin to grow this thing in you that helps you see what's right and what's wrong. It's that important that you learn when and when not to say something. Because just because you're right does not mean it's God. That's the invitation today. Jesus gave us all of this information. But he said, until you have the Holy Spirit, you're really not going to know how to use it. why we see the launching of the church when Jesus left and they have this upper room moment. Why? Because finally there's this connection to this truth that they've only had by setting at his feet. That's the invitation today. You would all stand. feel like there's somebody who's like, I don't really know what you're talking about. Is there anybody in here this morning that says, I don't even really know about this Holy Spirit thing. I don't know what that is. I don't know if I've got it or I don't got it. I'm struggling what this looks like. Is, is there anybody? It's a safe space. Once again, we're not looking at you and saying, mm, I don't know. It's okay. Lift your hands high. I want to see. We got one. It's okay. Any more? 
that we can only go off what the Word says. And the Word says this, Peter said, repent and be baptized and you shall receive the Holy Spirit. So now we know what the Holy Spirit is. And this morning, I believe that you, like, I want to be better. I want to listen to the right voice. I want this guidance that if I'm supposed to be this impact on the earth, then I need that in my life. If there's somebody that feels like your impact's been limited, maybe today you say, I need to listen to that more. So I need more of that in my life. See, we have this broken concept that when he comes into us, it's just like, I got a full download of the Holy Spirit and everything. No, no, no. That's the purpose of sanctification. The more you know him, the more you trust him, the more he can do in your life. Because you've been taking a NASCAR left your whole life, and now he's telling you to take a right. So in the beginning, you're just going to change lanes and get the right lane, but you're still going left. But as you trust him more and more, you'll realize, I've got to get off this track that life has me on and go make a difference. That's you today? Just a few weeks ago, you raised your hand and said the prayer. You remember that? Said that prayer of salvation, repentance. And I told you then, it's just words. More is required of you. That repentance. He's going to begin to show you what's right and what's wrong. What's good and acceptable and perfect. And there's going to be some things you got to start laying down in your life. You better trust Him. Because there's people in your life that told you those are valuable. You need to hold on to that. That's all you'll ever be. That's the name and the title you're stuck with. You can't get out of it. You better lay it down because that is not who you were created to be. I don't care how close they've been to you. The enemy will use the most broken people to lie to you. Why? Because they need you there to validate their brokenness. God's about to change your life and create a light in you in the darkest place, it's going to become so bright and people will take notice and they're going to be like, you need to turn that off. No, nope, I just need to get out of this space. So as you begin to repent, that's the moment he becomes Lord to you. I confess with my mouth that he is Lord. But that's just a declaration of what I've said in my and I believe that he was raised from the dead. Why do I have to believe that? Because that's crazy. That requires faith. That requires me to imagine something that cannot physically be possible. But if he said all this stuff, and he said he was going to come back from the dead, then he has to come back to the dead for all of this to be true. Amen? So what has he said about you? It's not over. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's what Jesus said. Why? Because you have a way, you have a truth, and you have a life the moment you trust him and believe in him. So repentance starts every moment, every day. As it becomes more and more to you, it's not just a one step, I'm sorry for this. It is, Father, right now, I know I've done this wrong. And nobody's told me that. The pastor didn't give me a list and say, if you've done this, you need to repent of it. There is something right now in your life you got to lay down and let go between you and God. We're going to pray today, and I want you to just let it go. To yourself. You don't have to tell anybody. You can say it under your breath, but you got to let it go. The second part of baptism, you know, we've been in church our whole life, and some have been sprinkled. Some, that's, I'm not here to tell you what baptism is right or what's wrong with you. God will tell you. 
If you feel like next week you want to be baptized, let's do it. All I know is what my Bible says. If I repent and I am baptized, then I am promised the guide that will unlock my potential, unlock my life, open my eyes to what's right and wrong. Give me the discernment so I can tell who I need to speak in my life and who I need to get away from. Believe that today? Father, we thank you that you are the unlocker, the eye opener, the heart restorer, the purpose mender. Father, we're thankful today that you've opened eyes and opened a heart to a new relationship with you. Father, I pray in this moment right now, you would reveal to her the things she needs to lay down. begin to repair her tree. Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit would come to her, begin to speak life and value over her, love and grace over her in those places of brokenness, giving her the strength, the courage, the faith to lay down those things that have defined her, but limited her. Father, we give this day to you, knowing that this is your purpose, that you would create Moments like these to help those of us who have become satisfied, comfortable, and secure in brokenness to walk in a place of purpose. I pray if there's anyone else in the sound of my voice today who's been struggling in this same place, that they would realize repentance is the access point for more of you as you identify broken things in their life and they lay them down, their relationship with you comes strong. Father, I thank you today for your words. Jesus, we thank you today for your sacrifice. Give us this day, give you this moment, We give you our lives so that we can be impactful in a world who needs to know your love, your grace, and your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to challenge you today. You're at a place of struggle in your life. There's a truth. There's a love, a life, a grace, a mercy, a light. Don't feel like you got to do it alone. Know that we're here. Family of people just like you. Maybe two steps ahead, maybe two steps behind. But a group of people who have committed to continue to take steps. God bless you. Have an amazing week. 